you got your Bibles with me today, turn with me to Luke chapter 9, verse 52. The title of this morning's message is, The Right Spirit in a Day of Woe. The Right Spirit in a Day of Woe. Let's pray. Father God, Lord, we just thank you today for the spirit we felt in this place. I pray over the next few moments, open our ears to hear your word. Open our hearts to receive it, O God. And Lord, I pray that I would speak only what you want me to speak. God, we pray for a movement of your Holy Spirit in and through this local church. Lord, for every church in our region, Lord, and even in our nation. God, we need more of your Holy Spirit now than we've ever needed before, God, in this last days. And Father, we pray for a renewal, Lord, that we would rely on. And Father, that we would rejoice in your Holy Spirit and all that you're doing around us. And somebody said, Amen. Psalms 4, verse 5. I read this morning, offer sacrifices in the right spirit. Everybody say, right spirit. And trust the Lord. Many people say, who will show us better times? Let your face smile on us, O Lord. You've given me greater joy than those who have abundant harvests of grain and new wine. In peace I'll lie down and sleep, for you alone, O Lord, will keep me safe. Uh, many today are definitely looking for better times, whether it be joblessness, whether it be the status of our nation. We could see, if you look at the news today, it's nothing but bad news. It's war and rumors of war. It's earthquakes and uh, volcanoes and crime. And that's just this week, okay? That's just this week. Take it for our next last hundred years. Look at the scene of our, of our world today. Uh, even in our country today, we're seeing the examination of, of the future of the definition of sexual immorality in our country. Uh, all of these things, immorality is on, on the rise, and at the same time, divorce is rising, and suicide and depression, all these things. And David here is the same way. In a time of woe, when it seems like the world is full of unbelief, many are falling away, and it's like, how can I raise good, solid children in this world? How can I keep married in this world? How can I be happy? How can I be secure in my finances? How can I make sure that we're going to be safe? In a day of woe, David cries out to God, when it's nationally bad, when it's personally bad, in situations and strife, in a day of woe, he cries out, God... Give me the right spirit. Give me the right spirit. Even in Psalms 51, David had a personal moral failure. He prayed this. He said, uh, God, renew a right spirit within me. Renew a right spirit. Some of your versions might say steadfast spirit, but renew a right spirit within me. I've been thinking about that phrase this week, renew a right spirit. And renew means to restore, to revive or to regenerate, and we know that regenerate word best as Southern Bible-believing believers, uh, regenerate as born again, born again. God, give me a born again kind of spirit. Give me a new spirit. Give me a revitalized spirit. God, give me a revival in my spirit. That's what he's praying. God, in this time of my life, renew me. Give me more of your spirit. You know, God is pleased when we desire to be renewed by the Holy Spirit. We're going to talk about three things today, about being renewed in the Holy Spirit, about relying on the Holy Spirit, and rejoicing in the Holy Spirit no matter the circumstances of our day. Even if it's woe on the outside, we can be renewed, relying on and rejoicing on the inside. Amen? Amen? You guys here today? All right. Talking about a day of woe. 
This passage in Luke chapter 9, I'm going to give you some background. I'm going to do some good work to build you up into the right frame of mind because Jesus is preaching in a day of woe. If we go back in time, go back to the first century, uh, uh, the first hundred years after Jesus was born, and we're walking with Jesus in his uh, year 30 to 33 of his ministry, of his life, uh, in his three-year ministry. And in this day, if we would know, if we had lived in this day, we would know that we lived in a day of woe. If you were a Jew living in Galilee, you would know that that day was a day of woe. It was an end-time kind of day. It was a day that uh, you would have seen that our nation would have been taken over by pagan, uh, immoral people. Rome would have ruled the day. The eagle would have been the standard of the day. And the eagle was getting put inside of the temple of God. And there were zealots that would come and try to take it off. There was Roman generals coming in and marching into the temple of God, into the place of God and desecrating it. There were uh, Idolatry was the rule of the day. Uh, uh, Roman and Greek philosophies were taking over the whole nation. There was uh, nude bathhouses and nude gymnasiums being built in the holy city of Jerusalem. There was a... Uh, uh, The priest, the high priest, was being bought off with bribes Uh, every year. It was a whole fixed system that the priest was a puppet of the Roman general, of the Roman uh, governor, and of Rome itself. Herod the Great and his sons were uh, kings of the day, and they themselves were puppets of this pagan immoral system, building all kinds of monuments to Caesar and calling Caesar a god, but on the other hand, calling God God. And he was playing to the Jews on one hand, and he's playing to the gods of this world on the other. And this is the day that you and I would have lived in. How do we live then? Poverty was at an all-time high. There was no middle class. You were either dirt poor or you were filthy rich. And that was very few people that were filthy rich. You would see things like uh, orgies and and pornography at an all-time high in Jerusalem. You would have seen Roman officials uh, uh, divorcing at an all-time high. They would take one wife and another. They would uh, cheat uh, cheating and adultery was at an all-time high. And the economy was beginning to collapse. This is the day of Jesus Christ. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? This is the day that God chose to send His Son in a day of woe. A day when it seemed impossible to see anybody turn around and come to Jesus. In a day that it seemed impossible to have a conservative religion. In a day where you had liberal Sadducees sliding off into all kinds of beliefs, and not even believing in the resurrection anymore, and following the day of the Rome. And then in response to them, you had the conservative Pharisees who would stand in the gap, and they began to add all kinds of religion in order to control people. In response to the liberalism of their day, they began to heap all kinds of burdens, all kinds of extra rituals and washings and sayings and things you had to wear to be holy enough. And so it was a, be ye separate to the extreme. And then Jesus comes on the scene. And look, hold your Bible in Luke chapter 9, but look into Luke chapter 6, verse 24. Jesus has some woes for his day. He has some woes. And the first one, he says, woe to the fakers. Woe to the fakers. Luke 6, 24. But woe to you who are rich, 
For you are receiving your comfort in full. Woe to you who are well fed now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you will mourn and weep. And woe to you when all men speak well of you, for their fathers used to treat the false prophets in the same way. He's speaking to the church, the conservative ones of that day, of the people who were uh, playing both sides. And he says, woe. Everybody say, woe. Woe. What does woe mean? Woe means, I looked it up in the New Bible Dictionary, says that woe is not a pronouncement of judgment, but it's a deploring of a miserable condition in God's sight. It's not judgment, but it says that the condition is miserable in God's opinion. It's not saying judgment. It is saying this is not a good day. This is not a good situation. Turn it around. And it's spoken to those who live in a fool's paradise most often, and it's unaware. These individuals are unaware of what lies ahead. So it's a warning. Think about it in the term of Revelation. The trumpets are a woe in the book of Revelation saying, it's bad now, but you don't know what's coming. Now is the time to wake up. That's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, woe to you who are satisfied in the condition of this world now, who are playing both sides. You're going to church on one hand, but then you're uh, just like the world on the other. Woe to you if you're not getting in line with God's way of righteousness because it's bad now, but just wait. It's bad now in America, but just wait. He's saying, woe. Everybody say, woe. Okay. And so when you go home, you say to somebody, woe. All right. Tell your kids, woe. It's, it's to the materially minded. It's to those that are blinded in their spiritual needs. It's to the unrepentant and unsympathetic, one author says. Basically, he's coming to people who said, who are basically full of it. They're full of religion. They're full of hypocrisy. And many of Jesus' woes most often were to the hypocritical church. There was nothing hidden, he said, that would not be revealed. And he asked his disciples to take an inventory. Are we full of the flesh or are we full of the Holy Spirit? What are we full of? And Jesus' message comes on the scene of this day, and he keeps it radically simple. Very simple. It's this, this. Repent and believe. Two things. Repent and believe. This is his message to these who are faking. Repent and believe. But there's two that's just, these are two huge words that are so applicable to then and to now. We say repent and believe. It means to turn from my own way of thinking, my own way of feeling, my own way of doing, and go the opposite direction. And that's repentance. But then it says also believe. And it's not just believe in the mind, but it's believe in the heart, in the spirit. It means to truly have faith and trust in God. And it's not just a mental decision, but it's a life decision. It's the direction that I'm going. It's my full confidence and trust and childlike reliance on God. And it says, God, I repent and I believe. You know, many Christians today, and we can parallel our times together more now in this last hundred years than in all the history of the world have we been in a day much like the day of Jesus Many Christians, you can look at the scene of America today, many Christians are comfortable well-fed by the entertainment and money of this world. Following some, some, on one hand, follow carefree pastors who'll preach anything they can to get the audience in. 
and then also fill this stage with entertainment and lights and fog, and none of those things in themselves are bad, but they avoid speaking the whole gospel for fear that it might offend someone. Then you have other side of it, just like you had the Sadducees and the Pharisees, you have the other side of it that is saying, I'm going to pile up, it says, be ye separate, come out from among them, and we're going to pile so much tradition, so much religion, so much burden on you, so that you won't sin. They try to control you by religion rather than relationship, yet all the while both sides struggle with the same sin. The same sin And Jesus is coming with a simple message, and the same as today, repent and believe. We've got to be born again through the washing and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, Paul says in Titus. The renewal, just like David said, God, I want the right spirit. God, renew the right spirit. I want the renewal. I want to be born again. I want to have a relationship with God, something new. And then Jesus goes on. Nothing other woe. And it's woe first to the fakers, now it's woe to the faithless. So Jesus comes on the scene in this day of woe, woe to the hypocritical uh, religious leaders, the compromised system of churchiness. And he says, woe, if you think you're well-fed now, just wait, you're going to be empty. If you think you're rich now, just wait, you're going to be poor. Woe, there's judgment is coming, but it's not yet. Get ready. He says, woe to the next. Look at Matthew chapter 11, verse 20. Hold your, hold your verse in Luke 9, but Matthew 11, verse 20. And Jesus comes and he begins to announce the cities which the most of his miracles were done. Okay, get this. Jesus begins to denounce the cities in which most of his miracles were done. Are you catching this? The place where he had most of his miracles, he begins to denounce those cities. Matthew chapter 11. Now look, watch with me. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. If the miracles had occurred in Tyre and Sidon, which occurred in you, they would have repented long ago and sackcloth and ashes. Nevertheless, I say to you, it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon in the day of judgment than for you. And he goes on, and for you, Capernaum. It will, will not be exalted to heaven, will you? You will descend to Hades, for if the miracles had occurred in Sodom, which occurred in you, it would have remained unto this day. Nevertheless, I say to you, it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for you. Jesus comes on the scene. Now, follow me this morning. He comes on the scene to the place where he's begun his ministry, and he has a simple phrase again, repent and believe, or repent and believe or perish. Very simple. Repent and perish. And this is to his home base. And he says, it's going to be better off in eternity for Sodom and Gomorrah. Everybody know that Sodom and Gomorrah was these two vile cities during the day of Abraham who were filled with homosexuality, prostitution, bestiality. They were filled with uh, a sharp division of the poor and the rich and full of injustice. And how does Jesus come to the place and tell this, these cities, these three cities, it's going to be worse off for you than even Sodom and Gomorrah. What is he doing? If you go back and you look at these cities, I had the chance to go to each of these a few years ago. All of these cities are in the Galilee. All of them are near the Sea of Galilee, and they were the home base of Jesus. Capernaum is actually where Peter's mother-in-law lived. Uh, they went to Capernaum a lot. And it's right on the north, the north side of Galilee, up on a hill. And uh, it's, it's the home base. 
of Jesus. A lot of his ministry was done there. Matthew, the tax collector, just called right out of there. Peter and John and James, all these guys uh, live nearby or in there. And he says, it's going to be better off for you. See, what happened is, in this day that Jesus came, there was a mass culture crisis. See, the Galilee was once this conservative place. Much like the Bible Belt today, it was a very conservative place full of Jews who were very devout and religious and who uh, didn't even like Jerusalem because they thought Jerusalem and all those Christians were fake legalists. And so they were true, blue-collar, salt-of-the-earth kind of people in Capernaum. And they loved God. And they were religious, devout in their conviction. They had a southern draw. They did. It was northern for them, but it was a, it was a draw. It was a, a, a different way of life than the rest of the world, the hustle and bustle of the world. But in Capernaum, this is where you raised your families. This is where you went to school. This is the best place to call home. And Jesus comes to a town like this and says, it's going to be better off for Sodom and Gomorrah than for you. Whoa, wait a minute here. I thought we were the good guys. I thought we were the ones that were like the salt of the earth. We're keeping it real. We're not like the rest of the world. Where it's, not, we're, it's right here. I'm reading my Bible to my kids, the bedtime stories, everything. You see, in that day, it was a day of compromise. Culture shock. Galilee, in the day of Jesus, had become not known for their conservativeness, but become known as the Galilee of the Gentiles. You can read that in your Bible. The Galilee of the Gentiles. See, Rome invaded. The standard of the eagle had been put everywhere. The morality of the day was taken down low, and there was a sharp rise in culture change, even in Galilee, even in this conservative rural place. And so you had certain families like Peter and James and John and the sons of Zebedee, And you had them, and they were looking for a Messiah, but the vast majority of these towns did not want to hear this one message, which was, unless you repent, you will perish. Luke chapter 1, or Luke chapter 13, verse 5. That was his message. Unless you repent, you'll perish. They were too educated, too wise in their thinking, Even in Galilee, they thought this is how God should work. Culture crisis. You see that in America today? I think we can apply this so very much to a conservative Galilee, to a conservative Bible-believing America, conservative Bible belt of America, that Jesus could say the same thing. If it's a compromise... Repent or believe. Repent and believe. It's the same message either to the uh, hypocrites, to the liberals, to the, the Romans, to the Gentiles. It's all the same. Unless you repent and believe, you will perish. And it will be far worse off for those who know the truth, who play like they know God, who stand for biblical truths and they can salute the flag and they can want the vote for the Ten Commandments in the schools and prayer in the schools and Ten Commandments in the courthouse, but yet if they aren't really renewed by the Holy Spirit, it will be worse. Because you knew the truth, but yet you weren't renewed by the Holy Spirit. 
You see, uh, woe to the nation, to the people who knew God and rejected Him. Think of it today, I'm thinking about our country. America has been the center and the heartbeat of the church for a long time in, our, in the last hundred years. It really was birth. The church began to take form in America. But should America reject the church today, which is Christ's work, just like these cities rejected Christ's miracles, His words, His work, the majority of those cities rejected Christ's work in all of His miracles And he said, woe to you. If you would go to Bethsaida, Capernaum, and all these places today, they are all ruins. There is no city in any of these places. They died. And should America, I'll be honest today, church, youth, should America reject the church today? There's only ruin ahead. That's the message. It's a message of woe. And worse off, we'll be worse off, the country, the nations will be worse off having had the church birthed inside of her. And then reject it. Jesus says, worse off will you be than even those cities who if they had, they were a pagan and idolatry like Sodom and Gomorrah, but if they had heard the message, they would have repented. But you have known the message. You see, repentance is birthed out of regret. It's a deep remorse. It's an emotional decision. But it's also something that must continue and it must produce a change of the mind and then continue to maturity by turning us the right way. You know, I don't care if we're in the church or in the world, we cannot redefine sin, and nor can we willingly continue to commit sin and think heaven will be our home. Let's be honest. We cannot redefine sin, and we cannot continue in sin and think heaven will be our home. And this is the message Jesus Christ brought. They didn't like it. I'll be honest, I don't like preaching it. Nobody likes to preach woe. No pastor doesn't keep the churches full, right? Doesn't make y'all go, yeah, man. Yeah, it was an awesome Sunday, Pastor. Great sermon. No, it's woe. That's why there's a woe. It's a, you got to say it low, right? It's, but what is the right spirit? I'm thinking about this, man. It's like, shouldn't we just get on a boat and go somewhere else? Or, man, what's the, what's the attitude? You get depressed, right? All of you right now, your joy factor just went down 10 degrees, like, you just all got sad right now. When we watch a sad movie, you'd all be crying because I just preached all this repentance. But what's the right spirit to have? Now look with me in Luke chapter 9. Here's our text for today. Luke chapter 9, verse 52. How do you and I, if this is the same, Jesus preached the message of woe, and I believe there's a message of woe today. It never ended. It's even more so over our country today. What is the right spirit to have when things seem so bleak? when things seem so down, when, when it seems like uh, there's just a day of woe, that judgment is coming and our nation is on a crash course ahead and sure to meet it. It's going to happen. It's already so far gone, it seems like nothing can do to stop it. What should we do? How do we confess Christ in a day of blasphemy? How can we preach the message of repentance and believing in the good news when nobody wants to hear it? What do we do? What's the right spirit to have? Look with me. Luke chapter 9. So he sent his messengers ahead of him, and they went and entered a village of the Samaritans to make arrangements for him. But they did not receive him because he was traveling towards Jerusalem. And when his disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire from coming down from heaven and consume them? But he turned and rebuked them. And he said, you do not know what kind of spirit you are of. 
For the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And they went on to another village. Okay. The context is a day of woe. Jesus is repenting. Repent and believe or perish. He's coming to hypocrite, uh, hypocrites in the world today, liberal pastors, conservative pastors alike. He's coming to a compromised church, a compromised nation who is rejecting what God's covenant has said. And there's idolatry has ruled the land. Divorce is at an all-time high. All kinds of rebellion in the streets. The streets are burning. It is a day like today more than it's ever been. And he says, woe, unless you Repent and believe, you'll perish. And so here we are, James and John, we're on our way to Jerusalem to take this awesome end-time message to the city of cities of our nation, going to Washington, D.C. And on the way, we pass by through Samaria. We meet some Samaritans. Now, the Samaritans were the hypocrites of hypocrites. They were the... uh, Uh, muddlers of muddlers, and they had taken the Word of God, compromised it, written their own Bible, made their own place of worship, and just muddled everything. And they thought they were right, and Jews are wrong, and there was this big racial, uh, social prejudice. And so, and then the Messiah comes to their town, and they don't even let him stay in a hotel. The King of kings and the Lord of lords... Come down to earth to proclaim salvation. And they said, well, 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 God, let's just, whoa, this is a bad time. Now, these are the worst of worst. Let's just call down fire. God, let us please just call down fire from heaven. Just burn them up, make a big statement, and everybody will know, because these are the dogs, these are the devils, these are the, the most pagan people that we know near us. Let's just burn them up and make a message. And Jesus says, he rebukes them, and he says, you don't even know the spirit. You don't even know what spirit you're talking about. You don't even have the right spirit in you. I didn't come to destroy men, but I came to save them. Can you just imagine taking a step back and just like, was I not on the end times church bandwagon here? Don't I have the end times church podcast? Don't I? I'm, I'm heard fire and brimstone and repentance and hell and judgment. And I come to the worst people and I say, God, let's just do it now. And he says, you know, backhands you and says, you don't even, I've come to save these people. Aren't you confused? Aren't you confused? And they're thinking of Elijah. Think of Elijah. In 1 Kings chapter 18 and 19, Elijah, one of the heroes of the uh, Old Testament. Man, a man like no other man. And he comes to 850 prophets of Baal, and he says, your God must be on the toilet. He's making fun of them. Your God must be on the toilet relieving himself. He's not showing up. And then Elijah plays a simple prayer. Fire falls down. I mean, this is a bold guy. Say somebody's God's on a toilet. And, I mean, this is in the Bible. Okay, read it sometime. He calls down fire from heaven. It sucks up some wet wood. And then he takes a sword, and this one old man kills 850 prophets. In a pagan day, with a compromised system, with a, uh, a ruler and, and, and his wife, who would, might as well have just killed him. And God, if look, Old Testament, New, we're the same. Let's do what Elijah did. You don't even have the right spirit. I'm thinking, what's the difference between me and Elijah? What? You're the Messiah. You did it once before. You can do it again. You're the God yesterday, today, and forever. Don't you know this? You know, it's like, hey, let's burn some people up here. Chop them with the sword. Bust some heads. Let's do this. We're losing. You don't even know the spirit you're speaking of. But didn't you just re- preach, repent, or perish? 
That's what I'm preaching. Repent or perish. You don't even know the Spirit. I want the fire of judgment, God. See, Jesus wasn't bringing judgment. He was bringing woe. There's a difference. Judgment was not yet. He says, I've come to first seek and save the lost. Woe, judgment's coming. But I've come to seek and to save. To seek and to save. God alone is judge. You know, God doesn't need anybody standing up for him. God don't need me wearing the t-shirt that says repent or burn. He don't need me telling people uh, that God's going to kill. I, I'm not God's defense. God alone, it says, the, he alone is God. He's big enough to take on his own name. If he wanted to wipe us out, he'd do it by now, right? God alone is judge, and I don't judge anybody. I'm not here to judge this church. Our church, this, the church of the world is not here to judge the world. Jesus alone is judge. But his message is woe, but it's also this in the same context. He says, I've come to all who are weary and heavy laden to give them rest. To give them rest. He's looking for childlike faith. It's the day today is the age, the day of salvation. This is the day of salvation history. Today is the day where the Messiah has come to save. And we can ask ourselves this question as we would James and John. And what Jesus would basically ask them, he says, Yes, it's a day of woe, but where's the love? You don't even know what spirit you're speaking of. Yes, I've said woe to the world. Judgment is coming. But where's the love? Don't you remember in just a few chapters ago in John 4, guys, that I took the Samaritan woman, this, one of these Samaritan women we're talking about here who lives down the road. I went to the well. I gave her living water, a renewal of the Holy Spirit, and then I preached there for two days, and they received me. And you want to call fire down on these people. There's still hope. If people are willing to repent, there's still hope in this message. It's a good news of God's salvation. Don't you know that you should love your neighbor as yourself, just like the good Samaritan? We preached on that last week. And it's a new day. You know, the gospel may warn us of an eternal hell, but it also wins us to a God who so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. I'll say it again. The gospel may warn us in the world today of eternal hell, but it also wins us to a God of eternal love. It's not one or the other. It's both. It's a warning of an eternal hell, but it's a winning of an eternal God who has eternal love. And what he's provided for us today is a new kind of fire and a new kind of sword. Elijah may have called fire down from heaven and burned up the sacrifice. He may have had a sword and killed people. But today, the Bible says that we have received the fire of the Holy Spirit. We have a, a new day where the Holy Spirit has come to encourage us, to give us the words to speak, the boldness to witness, the, the fire shut up in our bones. It's a new day of the Holy Spirit, and we need to have the right spirit within us. And the Bible says that the sword of the Spirit, is the Word of God. The Bible says that this is the message. It's a sharper than any two-edged sword. It's able to pierce the hearts of man. And if we confess our sins, He is faithful and righteous to forgive and to cleanse us, to renew us, to regenerate us, to make us born again from sin. 
Church, we need the right kind of spirit today, and that right kind of spirit is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. I need the right kind of spirit. God, renew me. Give me the right spirit. Just like David, I want to be born again with the Holy Spirit. I need Jesus, your spirit living within me. I want to have the way that you think, have the the thoughts that you think, the words that you say, the heart that you have. And yes, it's a day of woe. And yes, the Supreme Court uh, in the next few months may make uh, an immoral declaration over our nation. It may be that all kinds of wars and rumors of wars are coming, but there's still hope for those who repent and believe they will not perish but have everlasting life. There is rejoicing in woe if you have the right spirit. Man, I've prayed for this nation. This week I've been heavy thinking about all the things, just looking at the signs of the times. But there's got to be rejoicing in woe because our day draws near. Amen? Acts chapter 13, 52 says that the apostles, in a day even worse than the day of Jesus, when persecution began even further, says that they were continually filled with joy and the Holy Spirit. Man, continually filled with joy and the Holy Spirit. It's a day of woe. It's a day of woe, but you were persecuted on every side. Paul says, I was beaten, I was shipwrecked, I was, I was persecuted, I was bitten by a snake, I was stoned and left for dead, but I am continually filled with the presence of God Most High, and there is a joy this world cannot take from me. I can rejoice in a day of woe. They can take our uh, rights. They can burn our churches down. They can take away our Bibles. They can take Ten Commandments out of school. They can take prayer out of school. They can say that this is what marriage is. They can define everything. They can persecute the church to the fullest extent and martyr us in the streets. But I can be continually filled with the presence of God and the joy of the Holy Spirit. Amen. There are two things I want to end with that Jesus rejoiced over. He rejoiced in conversions, and he rejoiced in persecutions. Luke 10, 12, 21, flip over, Luke 10, 21. He prayed to God, and he said, God, I rejoice greatly in the Holy Spirit. He says, rejoiced greatly in the Holy Spirit. Church, just pause. We need to learn how to rejoice in the Holy Spirit when we come into worship on Sunday mornings. I'm not rejoicing in my flesh. When I come and worship on Sunday mornings, Sunday nights, and Wednesday nights, I'm rejoicing in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's got to learn how... We've got to let the Holy Spirit take control of our services, take control of our prayer lives, take control of our our worship, our song, our heart, our attitudes, our marriages. I've got to be in the Holy Spirit. He says He rejoiced greatly in the Holy Spirit. He says, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven. You've hidden these things from the wise, intelligent and revealed them to the infants, the babes. And yes, Father, this was well-pleasing in your sight. Jesus rejoiced in the Spirit over conversions. To the one city, in that whole city, he says, Whoa, repent and believe or perish. And then when the few come, just the handful, just Peter, James, John, the twelve apostles, the, the, the few that stuck with him all the way through to the, to the upper room, of all the thousands that heard him, the masses, it says that there were so many, they began to crowd out themselves and even hurt one another. Just so many, like a sea of people. And those that really, he says, Father, I thank you for these 
You see, his perspective was on things eternal. A lot of things in this world you can have joy over. I can have joy over my four-wheelers, my, my fishing, my hunting. I can have joy over my garden. I can have joy in, in all kinds of things. But Jesus had joy in the right thing. He said, God, your mission is being accomplished. I can take joy in that. It's eternal joy. It's a joy that doesn't fade with circumstances. It's a joy that, Father, I know that these are in your hand, and they're going to be with me in paradise and joy, everlasting. I wonder sometimes if we're looking for joy in all the wrong places. Instead, we're not focusing on the mission of God being accomplished because this world is not our home, and all these things in this world are going to quickly perish and go away. But if I can see that God's church is still preaching the gospel, that people are still being saved, that lives are still being renewed in the Holy Spirit, that's something I can take joy in because I'm a part of it. I want to be rejoicing in conversions that people are coming to the altars and giving their life, that they're getting baptized in water, that they're raising their family in the church and not trying to fill my life of happiness of all the pleasures of this world because that's the compromised church. That's the ones that are out there in the woe. But I want to rejoice. Where do you find your joy? Elijah, 1 Kings 19. After having that great fire fall from heaven and after killing all those prophets, finds himself alone, depressed, despair, and God has to have a little talk with him. And he has to tell him, he says, Elijah, you're not the only one. There are still 7,000 more believers that have not bowed their knees. I've got a remnant, even more than that, he sends him to Elisha, who will receive a double portion and continue on Elijah's ministry. You see, our joy has got to be in the growth and the mission and the message of the church. That's where our focus has got to be. Elijah wasn't happy about calling fire down from heaven. He wasn't happy about killing all these pagan idolaters and and, uh, prophets. But God moved him to rejoicing when he said, Elijah, there are people who are still hungry for the word of God. There are people who are still wanting to be saved. There's even one who will follow after you. He'll be your disciple and he'll continue on the mission. And the message, church, our rejoicing has got to be that our children are coming to church. Our rejoicing has got to be, Lord, in our youth, in our children, in the people in our homes, in our families, we say, God, get them saved. Rejoice in conversion. And finally, rejoice in persecution. Jesus said this to them in Luke 12, 4. I say to you, my friends, don't be afraid of those who can kill the body. And after that, no more can they. But I'll warn you from whom to fear. Fear the one who, after he has killed you, has the authority to cast you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. But are not five sparrows sold for two cents, and yet not one of them is forgotten by God? Indeed, the very hairs on your head are all numbered. Do not fear. You're more valuable than many sparrows. You know, the Pharisees and scribes, Jesus could see it was coming. They were trying to trap him in a crime. He saw the day was coming when they will soon be persecuting Him, anticipating his crucifixion, he told his disciples, nothing shall harm you. I've given you over all the powers of the enemy. He says, though I send you out as sheep amidst the wolves, fear God more than man. And remember, the Holy Spirit will teach you what to say in that hour. If you have the right spirit. I don't care what the future brings. 
If I have the right spirit, the Holy Spirit living inside of me, I can rejoice in trial or tribulation because, God, I'm on the winning team. Doesn't matter if they kill me. Doesn't matter if they take my rights away. Doesn't matter if they sue me for all that I have. Doesn't matter what comes. Whatever this nation defines as sin or not, I can rejoice because I have the Holy Spirit living within me. My family is saved. I can rejoice that souls are being saved, that even these last several weeks we've seen marriages restored. We've seen God do some great things. Rejoice because He has overcome the world. Though it's a day of woe, do we have the right spirit? Being renewed by the Holy Spirit, relying on the Holy Spirit to speak only what He's speaking. I'm not speaking judgment. I'm speaking there's a warning but yet there's a winning God. And finally rejoice in the Holy Spirit. Worship team, would you come back? Every head bowed, every eye closed. Jesus. Lord, renewed. God, I want to be renewed in the Holy Spirit. Father, I want to rely on the Holy Spirit. Father, I want to rejoice in the Holy Spirit. Renewed relying on and rejoicing in. We need Jesus to be the center of our whole life, of our everything. And the message is clear today for those in the church and those out of the church. Repent and believe. There is a warning. The world today is in a state of turmoil, but there is a winning God. And if there is an eternal hell, you can be sure that God has provided in His eternal love to rescue you. And sin is sin. Death is death. But God is God. Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We just begin all across this place. Just begin to pray. Just begin to seek the Holy Spirit. We need more of the Holy Spirit now, church, in this day. We're not going to get through the next few years, the next seasons that are ahead for this nation if we just come in and play church and we never invite the Holy Spirit to have His full way. I don't care how good of a message the pastor preaches, how good the worship team sings. If we don't have the Holy Spirit residing inside of us, guiding us, renewing us, filling us with His joy, you'll never make it, church. We're not going to make it if we don't have the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit living and breathing in our church. Living and breathing in your marriage. Living and breathing in your family. And you can... We all mess up. Youth, young man, young woman, grandma, grandpa, we all fight thoughts in our mind. We all fight sin. We all struggle. But God is able... God is able to renew us again and again, to draw us closer to Him, to fill us with the joy that will get us through the power of the Holy Spirit. So many people, so many churches today, no longer, they're just a show, it's just a program, it's just a, a thing that they do, but there's no spirit in it. There's a woe ahead, church. It's not judgment yet. Today is the day of salvation. But if you live in a day of, well, maybe you're here personally and you say, Pastor Heath, 
my life has just been a day of woe. Man, my, my, this last several weeks, or maybe it's months, years, you've just been in a day of woe. It's just been struggle after struggle and turmoil after turmoil. And it's like there's no hope. But I want to come to a God who's winning. I want to come to a God who brings restoration, who can revive my life, revive my soul. Save me. Cleanse me. Fill me with the joy of the Holy Spirit. Continually filled, night and day, that even though, though that people around this world say, where are the better days? We can say, God, in your spirit, God, this is as good as it can get. God, in your spirit, I don't care about my finances. I don't care about the things of this world because in your spirit, there is fullness of joy. In the presence of God, it's all about the presence of God. You're here today and you say, Pastor Heath, I want to have that relationship with God. I want to get out of this season of woe. I want to commit my life to Jesus, be saved. That's you. Just look at me, raise your hand.